Shalom, shalom, friends. Happy Adar. Thanks for joining us today. We're so glad you're able to tap in with us. We're honored to hear, have here in the Valley Beit Midrash office um, a great scholar and builder in Israel, Professor Chaim Sukenik, who is the president of Jerusalem College of Technology. Please check it out online. Very important place, also known as Machon Lev. He grew up in Miami Beach, Florida, and studied at Yeshiva University with a BA in 72 and at Caltech with a PhD in 76. After a year as an NSF postdoctoral fellow at UCLA, he joined Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland as a professor of chemistry and material science and engineering. After stints in Israel as an NIH career awardee and as a Fulbright fellow, he made Aliyah in 1995, joining the chemistry department at Bar Ilan University. At Bar Ilan, he established the Center for Nanotechnology and Advanced Materials and held the Edward and Judy Steinberg Chair in Nanotechnology. Sukenik chaired the BIU chemistry department and was Dean of Exact Sciences. He was cited by the Israeli government in 2014 as one of the most influential olim, one of the most influential uh, immigrants of the preceding 25 years. His research on interfacial chemistry and nanoscale assemblies has led to a new aerospace materials and to new ways to prevent biofouling of medical devices. He has published over 130 peer-reviewed papers and 12 patent applications while supervising over 60 MSc and PhD theses. He has delivered over 300 invited lectures in prestigious national and international forums. Since his appointment at Jerusalem's College of Technology, six presidents in 2013, Professor Sukenik has established himself as a vocal advocate for the central importance of Torah and academic excellence in the modern state of Israel, what we're gonna talk about this morning. Under his stewardship, the men and women of JCT from a wide spectrum of Israeli society have emerged as leaders in Israeli high-tech and health science. Thank you so much for taking time to talk. Pleasure, you've given me a lot to live up to. We'll do our best. <laughs> so to start off, um, we normally think of, of religious people, especially in the more traditional religious segments as uh, it being more insular, involved in Talmud learning, which of course is valuable, but not always so much beyond in broader society, well, certainly not in academics. Tell us a little bit about the contribution of the religiously observant engineers to technology behind the defensive state of Israel. Yeah, it's actually a, a question that goes to the core of what uh, Professor Zev Lev wanted and what he dreamed about. Professor Lev was on He's the founder of the- He was the founder of the institution back in the mid sixties. He was a Torah scholar of international acclaim such that he was the go-to guy for questions relating to physics from religious decisors from Poskim. Um, but he was also an Israel prize winning physicist. So that gave him serious credentials on, on both sides of the street. And what ended up happening is that the kinds of students that he produced, he, he says it very clearly. He says, I envision my institution as a way of training B'nai Torah, training he started out as a men-only college um, to take on leadership roles in the state of Israel. And in his mind, leadership was something that was often found among engineers. So when you came to Machon Lev in the mid-60s, you would either do computer science or electronics or electro-optics, which is the basic uh, the foundation of, of lasers. Um, and in fact, many, many Machon Lev graduates ended up going on to very, very high positions uh, in the IDF, in the research branch of the IDF. Uh, such that today those labs are still dominated by, by Mahon Lev graduates. What, what I think is really nice when you talk about the opportunity for the religious student, I'll just tell you what one story. 
the fellow who was the head of the technologies for the Arrow 3 missile project, fellow by the name of Shmuel Ben Ezra, who has since moved up even into higher positions in, uh, in the defense structure. Uh, Shmuel was the head of the technical side of the delegation that Israel sent to the live fire tests in Alaska. This goes back a few years. And at those tests, Shmuel gets up and he says, okay, gentlemen, uh, we now have a break between test shot number one and test shot number two. And I want you to know that there is a program for learning Talmud one page a day called the Daf Yomi. And he says, Daf Yomi is today finishing up Masachet Bechorot. We are finishing up this particular tractate in the Gemara. And I would like to make the seum. I would like to celebrate with all of you the fact that we've completed this section of the Gemara. He gets up, he makes the seum. And then he turns to the secular head of the Israeli delegation. He says to him, and I happen to know that today is your father's yard site, the anniversary of his passing. And I would like you to join me in saying Kaddish after this scene. Mm -hmm. the, the idea that the Torah learning is part of their lives, but that the Torah learning is something that you don't put in a little box. It's something that is integrated into your life. And that as a successful professional, the Torah side of who you are is still very much a part of, of what Machon Lev has tried to project. And it's it's really been a privilege to get to know some of these guys. You know, we bring them back to graduations. We want those to be the role models of the serious, successful engineer, the people who are going out and working in Israel aircraft and Checkpoint and Rafael, uh, but also the people who consider the Torah learning and Torah practice as a central part of their lives. Beautiful, beautiful. How can we enable some of the uh, some of the one million Haredim in this case, um, and and where is their greater potential? But where are we are already succeeding, in um, in this higher education and in the potential higher paying jobs. Yeah, and it, it's it's an important question because economically Israel, uh, for all of its uh, fame as a startup nation, uh, today has a serious shortage of manpower. In other words, there are depending on whose estimates you believe, there are anywhere from twenty to thirty thousand engineers, software developers lacking in the Israeli workplace. Uh, so too in careers like nursing and medicine, there are, there's just a tremendous lack of personnel. So there's plenty of opportunity for people who would like to come in Aliyah. I figured I would just put in that plug because I think it's important. Um, but it, it, what it means is that if you keep doing more of the same, if you keep training the same group of people you've been working with till now, you'll produce roughly the same result. It's pretty much a steady state. Uh, if you can find new populations to reach out to and bring them into the mix, then you have an opportunity to increase your manpower without having to go and authorize 10,000 visas for people coming from India or people coming from, from outside of Israel. Let's use what we have inside the country. So about 25 years ago, we started a program for the Ethiopian community, but the Ethiopian community is small. It was successful. It brought in some new engineers, some new highly trained professionals. But the bigger potential we think is in the Haredi community, the ultra-Orthodox community, because there you have a population of about a million people today already. Um, it's a population that is intellectually oriented, but has typically been distanced from academic pursuits. What's nice about what we're doing in trying to bring them in is that we have two campuses, gender-separated campuses, same level of academics for the men and for the women. Um, but what ends up happening is that by creating the gender separated environment, you've allowed people who have lived their lives in a fairly cloistered, mm -hmm. strongly gender separated environment to now feel comfortable coming to college. So you've increased your pool of potential college students. And I will tell you that that increase 15 years ago, we had about 400 women 
from the Beit Yaakov uh, seminaries, high schools. Uh, today, we have about 1,600 in our student body. Um, 15 years ago, we had 30 Haredi men. Today, we have 650. So the numbers are going up. The ability to bring them into higher education is there, but it's got to be done under terms where they are comfortable and it's working and they're getting jobs. They're getting outstandingly good jobs. So we are, in fact, really increasing the number of engineers, the number of tech trained people at a very high level. So uh, is the barrier higher for uh, Haredi men or Haredi women to come participate? Haredi men have the barrier of potentially learning in Kolo. Haredi women have the barrier of a lot of obligations at home and the stigmas around their entering. How do you how do you tackle those different dimensions? Differently? It's a good question. Haredi women, though, typically many of the Beit Yaakov uh, high schools do offer a medium level bagrut, high school matriculation. So the academic background is a little bit stronger for the women. It's a little bit easier to integrate. Um, I think that the flexibility to bring them, needed to bring them up to snuff is, is pretty modest. Mm -hmm. The barrier to accommodation in their case is more on the side of the employers. Because you're right, uh, clearly uh, women who are raising very large families um, will require some flexibility on the part of the employers and different employers, both the locals uh, as well as the internationals. Okay, uh, Intel in, in Jerusalem has units where they specifically accommodate the needs of the Haredi women. And they say, look, if you want to be a little bit more cloistered, even in the workplace, we'll accommodate that and we'll even accommodate the, the hours that you need. Remember, the, the work ethic in that community is, is huge. It's, it's fantastic. So you have people who hit their desk at seven o'clock in the morning, maybe take a 15 minute lunch break to eat a sandwich at their desk and will work straight through till three, three thirty, and, and then go. They're not going to do overtime. They're not going to be sitting at their keyboard till 12 o'clock at night. But on the other hand, the quality of the work that the employers get out of them is, is great. Yeah. On the men's side, the challenge is a little bit different. On the men's side, the challenge is more closing the gap because in the men's programs, they did not have any academic training from pretty much age 11 on. So we have a machina program, a preparatory program, which within a year and a quarter, roughly 15, 16 months, um, about half of them are able to close the gap. Sadly enough, not everyone can. Once they've closed that gap, the expectations of them is absolutely the same as it is of anyone else. And frankly, the employment rate for those guys who finish the machina and make it through the first year of college, once they get to the second year of college, their success rate and their ultimate employment prospects are no different than anybody else. So just one last question for you here. So, and, and you've touched on this, but just to be really clear, what makes the Jerusalem College of Technology unique and special historically and, and in our time? The, the religious environment on the campus is unique. The insistence on maintaining that environment while still maintaining a high level academic credential, because if I don't have the high level academic credential, I haven't done anybody any good. The companies are not gonna to wanna to hire my graduates. So what I'm using is the comfort level for the students together with the fact that they are able to go out and get really good jobs and support their families, that becomes the ticket and that becomes what gets them in. Um, and ultimately we offer a lot of help. Mm -hmm. In other words, we offer employment help, we offer tutorials, we offer mentoring. Um, I think that the problem is on its way to a solution. No one is gonna coerce people who don't want to go to college. But on the other hand, if you do wanna go and you can go under conditions which are comfortable and position you to get a really good job, no, I think that's it's not only a chesed to them, 
because many of them are living in poverty or close to it. And this gives the chance for them to sustain their families. It's a benefit to the entire state, as you demonstrated, sure. because of the benefit. So friends, if you're if you're someone who supports Israel, this is one of the other great ways that you can support Israel and the health people of People would like to come life. visit the campus in Jerusalem. Come we visit the campus. We are in the heart of Jerusalem. Uh, we'd be thrilled to, to introduce you to some of the students and to have people really understand the, the magnitude of the social revolution that is happening now, because without any coercion, without being any in any way um, problematic or combative, uh, we have people who on their own are simply saying, okay, this is okay for me. And it's something that, that can change their lives and, and the life, if you will, of, of the state of Israel. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work.